This is it. The putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, budget, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow, all in one place. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes and close your books in no time while staying well ahead of your competition. 93% of surveyed businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite. And right now, through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Head to NetSuite.com slash C-Suite for special end-of-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. This program is produced by podcastandradio.com Small Biz Small Biz America The Brain Our guest on this segment is an entrepreneur an investor and a farmer An amazing set of circumstances brought Kevin Van Eckeren into the world of startups We're going to find out more about his story and all the work he does Kevin, welcome to the program Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. You are welcome. And, uh, you know, I like to get right into things. By the way, uh, Kevin is joining us from Chicago, my hometown. That's where I was born and raised. So it's good to be talking to Chicago. The big question, Kevin, is how does a, a guy that really was a career logistics guy for SWAT lead to getting interested in startups and investing in them, no less. Of course, there's the farming piece we'll throw in there. So I'm sure this is a story you get asked to tell as you appear on not only your own podcast, which uh, we should mention is The State of Logic, and you can find that on iTunes and everywhere else. But as you tell you, I'm just interested in having you tell your story and sharing it with our audience, if you don't mind. Of course, of course. So um, out of college, I studied criminal justice and and I realized that it would be advantageous to understand the field. Uh, I, I was deep into business in uh, high school, and so I, I understood that I needed to understand any industry I wanted to get into. Mm-hmm. And so I spent two years as a logistical officer on a SWAT team, and that is basically to say each logistical officer has their own assignment. For me in particular, it was to professionalize the SWAT team, to get them the equipment and training they needed to survive a, le- a life or death situation. And um, it was really exciting in the sense that I'm a college kid who gets to run drug warrants and hostage situations and be there when these things happen and learn from those experiences, which is great. But I also realized that a logistics officer is the bottom of the totem pole, and yet I had to convince these very alpha, type A guys to listen to this idiotic college kid who's <laughs> telling them they need better equipment and training. Right. So I did this for two years, really enjoying my time there. We are able to get them a Bearcat, which is an armored vehicle, because they didn't have any armored vehicles at the time. And uh, we got them amazing training. And it was interesting because I saw these these guys do things that, that while they're very intelligent, you react to train you you conduct yourself in the way you are trained. And because they were never trained to use an armored vehicle, they weren't using the armored vehicle properly. So we got them training, and all of a sudden, we saw a dramatic change in how safe 
they they were and, and how much more professional they were. Mm-hmm. And so then we said, okay, how, how can we get this training? I said, how can I get this training to the rest of the country effectively? Yeah. And this is in 2008 when the economy uh, kind of collapsed a little bit. And I knew that that would affect the budgets of our municipal workers. And so they weren't going to be able to afford to get the training that they needed. So I started a charity called Fulcrum Tactical Training and Support to train SWAT teams nationwide for free. Wow. And that was really cool because any day you get to shoot stuff and blow stuff up is a good day. Right, right, um, right. For those that are in that space, that's part of it, I'm sure. I'm a guy that flew airplanes, so I get it. You know, if there's a uh, there's a thrill, the science, the accomplishment, there's a lot in there. And, of course, risk is in there quite a bit as well. You are managing risk constantly in on these SWAT teams. Kevin, I have a question. Does every major market have a SWAT team? Is that something that's just baked into our, I'll call it the uh, criminal justice world? That's a good question, and the answer is no. Okay. And and I need to preface that by saying they don't have, not all places have a SWAT team that is available to them in in a timely manner. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any, any major municipality has their own SWAT team usually, but then, you know, the suburbs of major cities usually kind of uh, collect 20 or 30 departments together to form a SWAT team. Mm-hmm. And then when you talk about like 100 miles outside of Bozeman, Montana, they're waiting for the Montana State Police SWAT yeah. team, which could take three, four hours. Yeah, very different environment for timely responses. Absolutely. Okay, so your startup really was a nonprofit at first, and then there was a transition point, wasn't there? Yeah, so... We knew that, that the government has to subsidize eventually to maintain national security. And 18 months after I started it, the Department of Homeland Security came in and started pouring $2 billion a year into training police departments nationwide. Wow. And so we, ter- we became for-profit in 30 days, which is a monumental feat in and of itself. Oh, my gosh. And... We started training SWAT teams nationwide under the for-profit banner of just Fulcrum Tactical. And that was a phenomenal experience because, while it's great to shoot stuff and blow stuff up. It's even better to get paid while you do it. So I had so much fun doing that, and I ran that until January of 2015 when I sold it. Kevin, what was the? just give us the size and scope. What was the headcount on your staff, your team? Give us a sense of how big the, you grew the business. So we started off with just one head so we've only just had one head trainer but then we had many adjunct instructors and the reason we do that is because they need to be either full-time police officers or military personnel so that they are fully trained i see and that they can accurately provide that data point of recent events to other police officers the sharing of data and, and information exactly so we had dozens of adjunct instructors across the nation mm. that we could rely on to to provide different specialty training. So clearly the, there was a demand for the company you had built and ultimately sold it. It's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing, and it was a great day. Wonderful. Congratulations. So uh, coming out of the, the fulcrum tactical period, you became interested in startups. And I'm going to guess here, and you'll tell me, you'll set me right. You grew your own business. So this becomes an interesting idea. How do others grow their businesses? And where do I want to invest to help them grow and maybe inform them, whether you're on their boards or you're a mentor? Do, do I have that right? Yes, partially that, that is that is right. I, I want to be a part of that 
that ecosystem, I find it very challenging and fun. But there was also this component of I knew that only after two years of working with the police, I was able to start my own company uh, in that space. And so what I realized from that, because I had also worked in several other startups during that time, uh-huh. that I could apply my business principles to pretty much any business and allow the CEO, who is the expert, to do their job while I can provide them a unique set of of experiences that I've had in business to apply to pretty much any business. Oh, I love that ubiquitous kind of uh, sector agnostic or business model agnostic approach. And it's, it's true. The fundamentals don't change, do they? They absolutely do not. And that's the fun part about business is that as long as you, you gain that, that proper base of knowledge, you can apply it to pretty much anything. And this begs the question, Kevin Van Ekeren, what did you take away from your own experience? You know, specifically, what are a couple of things that you took away that, that now I'll say make you particularly unique in terms of your approach to helping others? Well, I think there, there's, there's three things that were critical to this. One is working with startups before I was an investor in many different markets. I worked in the tech industry. I worked in public training, the police departments, and then several others before I got into uh, investing. And so the, 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 the evolution of my knowledge and the generalization of my knowledge around business was very helpful. The second stage of that was to understand how to effectively deliver that information so people will actually listen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and finally, of course, it, it comes down to do I, do I really want to work with startups compared to major corporations? And by, without question, startups are so much more fun to work with. Oh, that's so cool. And you do focus on your own locality, uh, that is the Chicagoland area, right? We do have many investments in Chicago, but actually we've expanded to uh, invest nationwide now. Wow, that's great. And do you timeshare yourself between the different projects, checking in with the CEOs, the team? How does that look? What does your day look like today when you're not podcasting and and, uh, looking for new opportunities? Yeah, so I have about 40 investments thus far in Fulcrum Investing. Wow. And I would say that I probably work with 20 of those on a quarterly basis. And I work with pretty much everyone on a... Uh, you know, every six months, but I'm also available to them whenever they need. And it's not just me. I have seven other employees at Fulcrum Investing to provide the support necessary because I don't know everything and I'm well aware of that. And so I've found people that have very different skill sets than mine in business to kind of balance out my approach and to provide the most help to my startups possible. As a guy that worked with uh, SWAT teams and logistics Clearly, you you understand the value of balancing teams. I mean, that's what you just said there, and that's such a beautiful thing. And for our listeners to remember that you don't want to surround yourself with people that think the same way you do. You really want to surround yourself in business with complementary skill sets and even sub-teams, not just a C-level, your upper management team, but all teams. Really, they find they're living, breathing organisms that need transparency, understanding, and uh, there's a lot of interpersonal dynamics and, and uh, emotional intelligence that's in, involved with team building, right, Kevin? I think you nailed it right on the head. I mean, emotional intelligence is so critical to being a good boss mm. and to being a fair and, and equitable boss. And many people can't achieve that, unfortunately, because they're too caught up in their own 
uh, their own stuff. Yeah. By the way, I should say we're visiting with Kevin Van Ekeren. Website, www.fulcruminvesting.com. Tell us about the sectors that interest you most, and maybe there's a few you're peeking around the corner as well, Kevin. Actually, we're completely industry agnostic. Okay. We look at everything. And, and the reason I say that is because if you were to ever look at me, you would see that I wear the same, I wear a black t-shirt and shorts or pants, depending on you know, how, what the temperature is like every single day, including to board meetings. And so you would never think that I'd be into fashion, but I have several successful fashion investments. So it's it, more so it's about finding a unique niche that the CEO is extremely competent in, and they built a great team around. And, and really, that's our only mission. We don't care what industry it's in. All right, very good. For those listening that uh, may have something they'd like to pitch, uh, would, can we invite them to uh, do so at fulcruminvesting.com to reach out? Yes, they can. Absolutely. Okay, excellent. And you'll take a look and uh, perhaps advise them on the process. Startups are a very, very unique animal. And um, do you have any companies for whom you have uh, architect or engineered the exit out of what I'll call the startup phase and into Series A, Series B funding, et cetera? Is that something you've gotten involved in yet? And and if so, tell us about uh, your ideas around that. Yes, I have. I, I obviously can't take all the credit as the CEOs should take and, and their team should be taking the, the sure. massive amount of that credit. But um, many of my investments have gone on to uh, raise far more money th- than their first round that we invested in. And I have been really excited to see that now that people are understanding more about investing, more people are getting into it, which is great. I think that the real challenge for getting into a Series A and a Series B effectively is when you're first raising that seed round, many people see it as a concept. There is no real proof that it's working yet. And so now you have to deliver on all those promises you made. And often people like to make big promises, not thinking about, oh, crap, I'm going to have to actually prove this in three years. Um, And so now that we're seeing some of these guys really deliver on it in an amazing way, I am, one, blown away by how effective and efficient they are. And, two, uh, I am... I am a little jealous that I, I, I didn't get into more of those <laughs> that, that, right. because there, there have also been several that we've said no to that, that have reached that plateau as well. Interesting. Are you syndicating your investments, uh, raising capital on behalf of those you work with, uh, or is it all your own capital internal, your private capital? It's, it's, it's a family office, so it's my capital. Got only. it. Family office. Very familiar. Excellent. So, and that structure uh, really gives you a lot of flexibility. It gives you latitude. It gives you subjectivity. And you don't have the forces of many, uh, I'll say, controlling uh, some of the decision-making. I'm guessing that's a, a wonderful world to be swimming in. Well, it is. I think that I see so many of my co-investors yeah. uh, having to deal with, you know, we have strict guidelines that we can only get into IoT or uh, finance or fashion or whatever it is. Right. And I just think, man, you're really limited. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So it's very nice. Yeah. That's so cool. So cool. Once again, it's www.fulcruminvesting.com. And just like it sounds, I, I did want to ask you, there's a mistake you see very often when you're working with startups. What is the mistake you see? It's called ugly baby syndrome. And so we've all seen it on Facebook when 
uh, a friend of a friend posts a picture of their newborn baby and you're not entirely sure whether someone has discovered a new species of alien or whether that's just a really unattractive baby. And yet no one's going to tell them that, that they have an ugly baby. But in business, it's, it's starting a business is just like having a kid. You, you know, you put a ton of time and money and effort into growing this thing into something that you hope will be productive and amazing and better for the world. Yep. And yet um, often people are so biased to their own idea that they don't understand it's not a good idea. And friends and family aren't going to be the ones that tell you often that this is a bad idea. Don't spend your time and money on it. So it comes to us, the investor, to be the ones to, to unfortunately deliver that information. And that is not to say that I have all the answers or I'm always correct, but I can give a, a, a pretty decent probability from my experience. I really appreciate and that objectivity the, and uh, the, the way you stated that. You're, you realize you don't know everything and you don't know what you don't know, but go ahead. You had, I didn't mean to step on you. You had something behind that. No, it, it's okay. I, I think that one of the things that, that really kind of worries me is uh, now we're seeing a popularity around being an entrepreneur, which is great in some sense, but I've seen far too many people go down the road of working for 20 years, building a great retirement nest egg, and then spending it all on delivering the next great newspaper to the United States in 2017 when <laughs> newspapers are dying. Why would you do that? Yes, right? yes, because you're in love with your baby. Yes, exactly. Right. Yep, exactly. yep, yep. This emotional intelligence thing speaks very loudly to what you're talking about there. And I would guess that ideally, even before you're talking to uh, uh, seed stage or uh, early stage investors, you should really, really test your idea and make sure there's really a market there. Because isn't at the end of the day, Kevin, isn't that what it's about? There's a market there. There isn't a market there, right? Absolutely. That is the biggest concern we have. And the second biggest, honestly, is the team. Because in this early stage of investing, often the product or the service that that person has developed will change drastically before it becomes a true success. But the team is the one that actually has to deliver that. And if they can't iterate and pivot when necessary, that is a real fear of even if it's a great idea, it may not be perfect. And if they can't change it in a necessary time, uh, then it may not work even with the best idea. Yeah, to be nimble and lean, that idea lean startup maybe plays into this a little bit. Small is the new big. I mean, you really do need to be able to pivot uh, easily and relatively frictionlessly. And it takes a really mature, uh, developed team to do that. And uh, you know that from the other work you did in law enforcement as well, certainly. The coordination. Absolutely, yep, you are correct. The coordination of all that is so mission critical. And I'm sure you're a mission-focused uh, guy. I really have enjoyed this. Uh, once again, for those listening, www.fulcruminvesting.com. Our guest has been Kevin Van Ekeren. He is uh, the head of that company. I guess you're functionally the CEO of the company. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Excellent. Located um, in the Chicago and, and, area. Yeah. And, and, and I think that the, the one final thing I wanted to say about search is yeah. it's great that so many people are out there. I don't want to disparage anyone for trying to to uh, build their business. It's just you need to know whether you should be taking an investment or not. Exactly. Great stuff for our audience, too. And, uh, oh, by the way, look for his podcast. You are publishing three times a week. You are a brave man. It's called The State of Logic. You can find it on iTunes and everywhere else where uh, podcasts are found. You can find Kevin Van Ekeren on LinkedIn, and that's uh, V-A-N space E-E-K-E-R-E-N. So you can find him on LinkedIn as well. Kevin 
Thank you so much for joining us on Small Biz America. Thank you, sir, and have a wonderful day. Small Biz. Small Biz America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.